us even as we turn to your word this morning. Amen. Amen. So, we are in the book of Ezra this term together as a church. And Ezra and Nehemiah, which is kind of like a, a brother or a sister book to Ezra, come chronologically right at the end of the Old Testament in the Bible. So your Bible, if you don't know this, is divided into two halves, Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament is all about Jesus and the church. Old Testament is all about the people of, of, of Israel, God's, God's people. And so we have these kind of two parts to it, and Ezra and Nehemiah come right at the end. And Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of the Israelites coming back to Jerusalem. So what's happened is, is 70 years before Ezra starts, the Israelites have been taken into captivity. And they've gone to Babylon, which is kind of, I think, in modern day Iraq. And then after 70 years of being there, a king takes the throne in Iraq. In Iraq, A king takes the throne in the land of Persia at the time in Babylon called Cyrus. And Cyrus um, chooses to allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to build a temple. And so they go back to Jerusalem, and he, Cyrus doesn't know this, but God's behind the plan. The people go back to Jerusalem. And what they do, first of all, is they look around them and they think, gosh, we need somewhere to live. So they, they spend seven months building some houses, sorting themselves out. And then they set about a pattern of worship. They say, right, well, the first thing we need to do is just to worship God. And so they build an altar to God. And, and I said two weeks ago that this is a prophetic picture for us as a church community in the season that we're in. We want to be a people who are known for being a place where you can encounter God's presence. We've done that this morning. We've encountered God's presence. If you don't know Jesus here, I hope that you meet Jesus today because we want to be a church community where you can meet him. Otherwise, why would we be here? So anyway, they give themselves seven months to, to, to encounter God's presence and just minister to him in front of this altar that they've made. And then they set about building the temple. But then they hit opposition. People come along and they provide opposition. Sam spoke about this last week. And as a result of their opposition, we see this in Ezra 4, the work completely stops. In fact, as Cyrus, the king of Persia, dies, and a new king called Cambyses II takes the throne, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, takes the throne in Persia, what happens is, is that the people who are opposing the work in Jerusalem use the political change to stop a building project. Now, we've seen that this week, haven't we? Stopping building projects with political changes. Um, they use the political change to stop this project happening. But they don't just do this for like a year or a couple of years. The building work stops for 16 years. And in fact, it goes through the reign of Cambyses II, and it goes then through the reign of another king called Vardia as well. And then you end up getting to 16 years later before anything happens again. So just reflect on this for a moment, because I was reflecting on this. 16 years is a long time. Think about where you were 16 years ago. For Claire, it's been an incredibly long time. She's been married to me for 16 years. 16 years is a long time. If you think about your life 16 years ago, probably everything was different. I was living in London somewhere. Everything is different. The work stops for 16 years. Imagine being responsible for this project. You start this project, your, your name's Zerubbabel or Joshua, this, this priest, and you start this project, but then it, it, it stops. Imagine the failure you must feel like you're living with. This project is completely finished. Imagine how disheartening that might be to stop the project. And in the midst of this situation, what happens is, is God's people, the Israelites, give up. They return back to building their houses again. They think, oh, what's the point in this? We'll just go and give up on it. 
Perhaps maybe they got to the point where they felt that they'd been dragged to Jerusalem under some sort of false pretense. Well, we thought we were coming to rebuild the temple, but now we're stuck here. We'd rather go back to Babylon than be here. At least we knew the culture and we knew the surroundings. Now we're here and we're having to rebuild our houses here. We'll just give up on God's house and we'll just focus on ourselves. And the dream had died in many of them. The time to build for them was over. Perhaps they even started to question God. Where was God in this? Why were we brought here under the assumption that he was leading us to build a temple and now it's stopped happening? Why hasn't he made a way? Where is he? Um, they gave up. Now, when I was at school, um, I, I, got, I, I think I got sold a lie. And it was, it was the, the, when I was kind of 14, 15, and, I don't know, not 14, 15, 13, 14, when you choose your GCSEs. I don't even remember that, if those of you who are educated under the GCSE system. You got to choose your options. I got told by both of my languages teachers, my French and German teacher, that I had a natural aptitude for languages, right? I, I, honestly, now I reflect on it and realise that what, people are laughing already. Um, honestly, I look back on it now and I think it was probably just because they wanted me to do their subjects. And I bet they told that to every single student who came in. But anyway, they both told me I had this natural aptitude for languages. So fast forward until my mid-20s and we went on, uh, on, on holiday to France with some friends before we had kids. And we did a really French thing of going to McDonald's for a meal, as you do. And I set about showing my French skills off by going to the till and ordering an un Big Mac meal. Um, mercy, and everybody then laughed at me, and they took the mick out of me, they took the mick out of me, not just then, but for the rest of the holiday, and whenever I'm with those people now, and we go to McDonald's, which isn't very frequent, they remind me of that, and this year, I've said this a couple of times recently, but this year we've had the, uh, like, we've been fortunate enough to go to France a couple of times, and I realised when I was there last time, as I said last time I preached, we were in a French couple's house, I realised that that moment had made me worried about speaking French in front of people because I, I was worried about what people think of me trying to do something. Does that make sense? It's really easy to give up on stuff. It's so easy. It doesn't take a lot for you to give up on something. When I, I, I then became a teacher myself, so I know how it rolls with making saying to kids, you're, you're amazing. Um, but, but genuinely, the reason we do that as teachers is it's important to encourage children. Because as an art teacher, what I found was is that there were so many kids who came to me saying they couldn't draw. And the reason when you started to dig a little deeper, it was just because of one comment somebody had made about one piece of work that they'd done at some point in their past that they thought that they couldn't do it. We give up really easily on things. It's so easy. You know, other times it's not because of something that somebody said. It's, it's just because the hurt... Of, of not really wanting to continue to try. We give up because it's just hurting us. Perhaps for you that might be a relationship. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're thinking, I just need to, I feel like I might be giving up on this. Maybe there's a desire in you. Maybe there's a dream in you that's just been kind of crushed over time. See, for some of us, it can be church in general. Some of us, you might be at this church because another, you've been hurt at another church. You know, the church is full of people and we do silly things. That doesn't necessarily reflect on God at all. Yeah, we, we do silly things. We can hurt one another. Maybe that's meant that you've withdrawn a little bit. You've kind of given up being involved in church because you've just been hurt someone, somewhere else. Or maybe in life you just feel discouraged. And when we're hurt and despondent, giving up is really logical. It's, it's this response that we have in us, fight or flight. And many of us choose flight. We choose to walk away. So the Israelites, at the start of Ezra 5, have given up. They've had the dream sucked out of them. But when everything seems to be shut down... God speaks to them. And we see him, we see this happening. This is Ezra 
um, chapter 4, verse 24 to uh, chapter 5, verse 2. I've got four, three verses this morning, if you're pleased to know. The work of, thus the work of the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So 16 years. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, son of Josadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So at this moment, in this moment of kind of despair, God sends two messengers to speak to the people. He sends a prophet called Haggai and a prophet called Zechariah. What's a prophet? A prophet was somebody used by God to give a message from God to two people or to a person. And God uses Haggai and Zechariah to come to these people and bring a word to them. And as a result of what they say, the work starts again. Well, it'd be great to know what they said, wouldn't it? And you know what? We know. Because at the end of the Old Testament, we find two books, Haggai and Zechariah. And these are the books of prophetic words that were given to these people at this particular moment in history. Let me just, let me just show you what they say. So first of all, this is what Haggai says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you, to, for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber to build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, gosh, I'm getting really fed up of saying these names now, the high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So through Haggai, at this moment in Israel's history, at this moment in, this, this, in time, Haggai comes and he speaks these words over them. And the result of him speaking these words is that they pick up the tools again and they say, okay, it's time to build. And I think the key thing here is the last thing that we see in what I've given you here. That God says to the people, I am with you. I am with you. You know, it reminds us of Moses in Exodus. And Moses meets God at the burning bush. Those of you who've watched The Prince of Egypt... I will remember the story where Moses goes to the burning bush and he says, and he, he says to God who meets him through this, this bush, he says, God, like, who, who am I to say who sent me? And he, and he says, I am has sent you. And in the New Testament, Jesus claims that he is I am. He says before Abraham was I am. You know, the people discover and realize at this point in time that I am is with them. And if I am is with them, they need to not fear. They need to not down tools. They can trust God is with them. Haggai speaks words of encouragement to them. But apart from Haggai, we also see another prophet come. And this prophet is called Zechariah. And Zechariah comes to uh, the people and he gives three different words. In fact, he gives more than that, but I just want to point out three to you. The first is to the people generally, and the second is to the leaders, Joshua and Zerubbabel. So he says this to the people. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you says the Lord Almighty. So he says to the people, God says, come to me and I, and I will be with you. Come to me and I will return to you. Let's start up again, guys, is basically what he says. Come back to me. But then he speaks some words directly over 
the leaders of this thing. So first of all, Zechariah speaks to Joshua. And he says this. Then he, that's, that's um, this, in this vision, an angel shows uh, Zechariah this vision. He says, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Satan is God's enemy. He was an angel who rebelled against God. And God said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience to me and to keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge over my courts. So that's to the first leader. Zechariah then has one more thing to say. And he says this to Zerubbabel. Some of you will know these verses. They're famous. This is what the Lord, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone, the capstone of the temple, to the shouts of God bless it. God bless it. So the people have turned away. They've given up. They've turned their hearts away. They've turned their hearts back to culture. They've just gone back to doing their own thing. Joshua, the spiritual leader, the, the high priest, is living under a sense of condemnation and accusation that he is not good enough. He's living under this dark cloud of accusation against him. In fact, we see here that it's not just a dark cloud in the kind of the physical. There's something spiritual going on. There's one standing to accuse him in the background. Zerubbabel, if you read between the lines of the prophetic word, Zerubbabel has done a classic thing that leaders try to do. And you have to really, if you're in my position, you have to avoid this. Zerubbabel has been trying to get the work started again through power and might. But God says to him, it's not by power and might that you'll get the work started again. It's by my spirit. It's by my spirit. You know, it's much easier to try and do it in your own strength than it is to lean in on God's. And in this moment, what we see in this story is that these two prophets come along to this community and they breathe new life where there's death. We see God speaking new life where there is death in this community. And so what are we, what are we to make of this? Well... There is a few things. The first of all, there is an example in this passage to us as a church community. And it's this. And it just follows on from what I said last time. If we want to build a culture dedicated to the presence of God, we need to honour the gift of the prophetic amongst us. It's, it's vitally important that we learn from this story for us as a church family. See, in the Old Testament, as I've said already, God spoke through individual prophets. He he. he Pointed people at various times in various places to speak his word to his people. But fast forward to Acts, which is in the New Testament. And what happens is, is that Jesus ascends to heaven. And then he tells his disciples to wait in this room. And they're waiting around. And it says that the Holy Spirit, God's presence, falls on them. And as they do, they start to speak in tongues and prophesy. And to try and make sense of this, Peter, Jesus' friend, stands up. And he says, ah, oh, this is what's happening. And he opens the Old Testament and he opens a book called Joel. And he says this, look, it says in Joel, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. So in the Old Testament, prophecy was for a few individuals. But when we get to the New Testament, we find that prophecy isn't for a few individuals. It is for the church. God gives the gift of prophecy to the church. Why? Well, Paul says this in Corinthians, God gives the gift of prophecy to build up the church. Because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, you can hear God. This is what we learn in the New Testament. 
God is calling you to be like Zechariah and Haggai. We need to learn how we tune our, the ear of our, kind of our spiritual ear into God's voice so each one of us can hear God. Now, it also says in Corinthians that when we do that, it will be like looking through a, the bottom of a glass. It will look a bit dim and a bit not quite right. But we all have the ability to hear God. And when we see prophecy exercised in the New Testament, we see it take a very sort of sim- similar and familiar form to the prophes- prophetic words that I've shared with you this morning from the Old Testament of Haggai and Zechariah. Because what they do is they do three things. They do three things. They exhort, they encourage, and they envision the people. Notice it's not fire and brimstone. God doesn't come to them and say, if you don't do this, I will smite you. He doesn't do that. It's not turn or burn, but it's exhortation. Come on, you can do this. It's encouragement. It's re-envisioning. As we seek to further establish a prophetic culture here as a church, we need to be, you need to be actively seeking God for what he might want to say through you to those in the church community. This could be as simple as an encouragement to somebody. We also want to be a people who keep hearing prophetic voices over us as a church. And just an outworking of this is that next week we've got our friend Ben Goodman with us. And Ben is, um, is from a very big church in America called Manor Church. And he, he is the leader of the prophetic there and prayer and developing leaders. He's, he's a, a dear friend to us, but he's not been here since before COVID, so many of you won't know him. And Ben's going to be preaching to us next Sunday, but he's also going to be with us in the evening between 6 and 8 o'clock. And we're going to have a time of prophetic ministry, and he's going to be doing some teaching on the gift of prophecy. And when he ministers, you will see him demonstrating what this looks like. And we hope that we've demonstrated this to you as a church as well. Ben's words will be exhorting, encouraging, and re-envisioning. This is what prophecy looks like. So we've got a role as a church to both be open to the prophetic from others amongst us, but also to be stepping out in the prophetic as individuals. We want to hear God's voice for one another. But also we are called to be like Haggai and Zechariah to our generation. See, people need to know the truth. People need to hear the exhortation that the king has come to set them free. And we have a role to our culture, not to be parrots of our culture, just parroting back what our culture says, but being prophets to our culture, telling our culture about Jesus. So that's the first thing. This story is an example for us. Secondly, this story is speaking directly to some of you this morning. This is me now stepping into being prophetic because I believe that God wanted to speak to a few people today about this story. I feel like there are people here today who just like these Israelites, you have given up. Perhaps it's a relationship Perhaps it's a dream that you've got. Perhaps it's something you felt God give you as a promise. Something happened and it just crushed that dream in you. And like the Israelites, Israelites, you kind of basically said, screw this, I'm just going to do me. Forget God, forget the church, forget this, forget that. I'm just going to do me. Maybe there's resentment in you. Perhaps there's hurt in you at other people. Perhaps you feel like Joshua. You feel like you're living under condemnation and guilt. It's like there's, there's an accuser speaking to you all the time. Or maybe you feel like it's a rubber ball. You tried to start up again, but you did it in your own strength, and it just fell apart. And now you feel like a spent match. I I believe that God wants to minister to you today, and in a minute I'm going to give some time to do that and lead you through that. But lastly, so this story is an example, but this story also is speaking to some of us individually in the church. But this story also does something else. It leads us to Jesus. You know, every story in the Bible leads us to one person in the Bible, and it's Jesus. 
Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Well, in this story, we see, we see something take place that is an example for us of, of what it means to follow Jesus. The Bible says elsewhere, it says in a book called Ecclesiastes, that, that God has placed th- this kind of desire for eternity in your heart. And if you don't know Jesus, there's, there's like this longing for you for something more, but it never feels like it gets satisfied anywhere. And what we tend to do as, as humans is when we don't know God, who is spirit, what we try and do is we try and satisfy this longing for more through material things. So things that we can fit, see, touch and feel. And so our culture also promises that as we do that, we'll feel satisfied. So we go into that next relationship thinking it will satisfy us. We get that new job thinking it's going to make us happy. We get the new house, the new car. We might even start drinking a lot and think that the next bottle of whatever it is that we drink is going to make us happy. But ultimately, it doesn't. If we buy into that message, we end up feeling just like the Israelites at the start of our story. We end up feeling lost and without hope. We feel separated. We feel like we just, we, what's the point? I'm just going to give up. And as we saw, what happens is, is that God speaks to these people who have given up through his prophets. The word of God comes to the people. And you know, an, a bigger outworking of this is that the word of God has come. Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus claims that, he is claimed that Jesus is the word. Jesus' friend John says that Jesus is the word. The word of God comes into the world. Jesus comes to speak the truth of God to us and to set us free. And to give us hope where we're hopeless. He comes to set right what is broken in our world and fulfill the longing that we have, that each of us has, but it can't be fulfilled anywhere else. He comes to fulfill that longing in us. In Zechariah's prophecy to Joshua, the high priest, there's something really important going on. Joshua is living under the condemnation and the accusation of Satan, God's enemy. You know, whilst we believe that Satan has been defeated on the cross, I'll speak more about that briefly in a second, we also know that Satan continues to lie and deceive today. And what he does is he accuses and condemns you. And so maybe you came to church today and you've been listening to things like this, God couldn't possibly love me. I'm not good enough for God. I'm worthless. I'm not good. Nobody loves me. Why would anybody care about me? That's lies. It's not the truth. And when Jesus dies on the cross, what he does is he overthrows the power of Satan to lie and accuse you. How does he do that? Well, what he does is he takes the things that stood to condemn you before God on himself. He takes your shame and your sin, that's your wrongdoing against God on himself. And he claims them for himself. He says, I will take those things that you might be free. And then what he does is he comes and meets with you and he places his spirit in you. You know, just like in our story, the Israelites are lost and without hope. But as God comes to them and breathes new life in them, they are free to be his people. And you can be free to be God's child today if you accept Jesus as your saviour. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. I just want to give you the opportunity. And so I'm going to do that now. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm just going to invite you to pray that inside. You don't have to pray out loud. And then at the end of the meeting, if that's you, because I don't want want you to feel embarrassed, come and speak to me. I've got some stuff for you, some resources you can have. But also, we're running Alpha across the term. It would be great for you to do that if you're not signed up already. But I'm just going to pray this prayer. And then we're just going to spend five minutes praying um, about the other stuff as well. So let's just pray this, shall we now? So you might just want to pray this with me. Jesus, I know 
that I am a sinner and I'm lost without you. Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my heart and life. I choose to trust and follow you as my King and my Saviour. Amen. So if that's you, please speak to me at the end. But I do want to just spend some time now ministering to this other group of people who you feel like, oh, I just feel like giving up at the moment. You know, I, I genuinely, I felt like that recently at times. I feel like, I feel like giving up. I invite you to stand with me, just all of us for a moment. I'm just then going to invite you. If you feel like that's you, let's all stand up for a minute. I'm going to invite you all to close your eyes just for a second. I'm going to pray. But if you, if you feel that's you, could you just, could you just put, raise your hand for me? If you feel that's you, you feel like you're giving up at the moment. No embarrassment. Excellent. There's more than this at the moment. Do you really feel there's more than this? Okay. So what I'm going to do is if somebody's got their hand up, well done. Thank you. It takes faith to do that. Well done for doing that. If there's any more. If that's you, I'm going to ask the people around you, just to, just look, if there's somebody next to you or near you who's got their hand raised, what we're going to do now is we're going to minister to each other and we're going to breathe courage into one another. Because this is what happens with Zechariah and Haggai in our story. They prophesy and breathe encouragement into people. So if you've got somebody with their hand raised, please don't leave them free. You can only need to lay your hands on them now. There's some guys over here. So folks on this side of the church, please feel free to go and pray for them. This lady over here in the middle. If that's you, please just keep your hand, just your hand raised for a moment. There's no shame in this at all. We just want to pray for you and just pray God's blessing over you. There's no shame. There's no shame. Jesus says there's no condemnation. It's okay to say, I feel like giving up. It's okay. It's okay. Maybe there's some people here who don't feel like they don't feel strong enough at the moment to even put their hand up. I just want to pray for you as well. So let's just I'm just gonna close my eyes and pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come to set captives free. Jesus, I pray for anybody here this morning who just feels like they've given up. Feels like it's just not enough, feel like they're not enough, feel like they're worthless, feel like the past has just robbed them of who they are. Oh, Lord, that you might come to them right now. Precious Holy Spirit, come and minister your peace over them, your life over them. Anyone in this church family right now who feels like, oh, I just feel like giving up. We speak Jesus over them right now. We speak the name of Jesus over them right now. Come living waters. Come living waters. That you might pour out your presence on them right now. Lord, we choose to stand with them as brothers and sisters this morning and pray for them. We choose to encourage them this morning in the Lord. If you're with somebody who you're praying for, please just encourage you just to speak truth over them. Tell them who they are in Jesus. They are adopted. They are God's son, God's daughter. They have a hope and a future. They have a wonderful inheritance. They belong. <laughs> They're accepted, not rejected. They're chosen before the creation of the world. Lord Jesus, we pray your blessing over each one of these dear, dear friends, that they might know your goodness today. Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. 
also feel like there might be some people in the room who identify with Zerubbabel in this story. You're a leader. And in your job, you feel like you might be giving up. It's like everything seems hard. The project you're working on is difficult. It's just tough at the moment. I just want to pray for you as well. So I'm just going to pray for you as well. So Lord, I pray if there's any Zerubbabels in this room, they, they lead. But Lord, in their position, they just feel like the road is hard. We just speak your just grace over them. Lord, we speak, Lord God, your life over them. Lord, we pray that you might open new doors and new avenues for them. We pray even as they go into their desk or their work tomorrow, Lord, that, that new doors will be open to them. Lord, we pray, Lord, for freedom over them, Lord God, this morning. Lord, I pray that wherever they might have been over the last few weeks, just feeling frustrated, maybe at bosses or people that they lead. Lord Jesus, I pray that you might open up new doors for them. Lord, I pray that they might hear that word that you spoke to Zerubbabel through Zechariah, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the